shackle down to this funny three feet of water down there. I will not die sober. Get those fucking loads. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are hopefully concluding our exploration of Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm John Roca, writer, producer, and host and voiceover guy in San Diego, California. Uh, and I don't know if I'm ready for part three, but uh, it's going to happen whether I'm ready or not. So here we go, man. It, it, it's funny. I <laughs> there's I, My feelings about this movie... Mm-hmm. I will say, yeah. are not improving with this deep dive. And, and what you mean is your feelings about it, do you mean like overall quality or your uncomfortability with the subject matter? The latter, the okay. second thing you said, because it gets, it, it's what letting this movie sort of flow over you when you watch it, it just is, it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. But, but delving in deep to every single detail and analyzing it forces you to look at some stuff for a long time that maybe you sh- you isn't so fun to look at. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this, yeah, I, I agree. I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, not that I'm not enjoying our conversation. I'm enjoying yeah. our conversation very much. And, and you know, I'm going to say it again. Martin Scorsese is a master filmmaker and watching this is watching a master at work. Yeah. But the things that he is mastering in this is like, you know, but this is, but I get, but again, I have to say, this is the thing about Scorsese is like, Goodfellas makes you uncomfortable. Taxi Driver makes you uncomfortable. King of Comedy makes you uncomfortable. Raging Bull makes you uncomfortable. Like, that's part of what he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the view. Because, yeah, because yeah, because he tried the, you know, I think he tried the right route. Or, sorry, tried the, let's not, I know, I guess maybe he's never done that. Never mind. I guess he's never kind of, I was going to say New York, New York, but even that's about the death of a relationship. So, um, I don't know if he's done a straight, like just comedy without the darker undertones being a part of it. I would say the most sort of mainstreamy attempt from him mm-hmm. might be the color of money, you know? Oh yeah. I, guess I mean, so. not that it doesn't have darkness in it, but it, it yeah. but it's like, you know, it's just, it's more, more like a sports movie in its yeah. way, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> back, we're not going to get through this movie and conclude it today if we don't get into yeah. it. So we just have had that great meeting with Kyle Chandler's character on the yacht and we know that we're in trouble. And so the new plan is we got to go to Switzerland. Yeah. We got to go to Switzerland. Let's go. Well, it's not exactly let's go, John, because we're got to ramp up. We got to time the pills properly. We have to, this is very important for your Quaalude use yeah. is that you have to time them properly. And we see throughout the day, a couple pills at the office and then it goes to, which takes him into his tingle phase. Yeah. Then it's some more pills at dinner that takes him to his slur phase. And I don't know about you, but for me, the slur phase is already when like, okay, we've gone too far. Yeah. But I mean, these guys, you know, there are certain people that are built with a certain level of tolerance. And I guess there are certain people who have this ability to push their bodies to the like nth degree and that it's okay. And then they're able to bounce back. We we certainly know somebody that we can't mention my name who has an incredible ability to absorb all kinds of chemicals and all kinds of alcohol and still be able to function the next day just fine as a normal, on a normal time uh, schedule, on a normal schedule. And, uh, you know, maybe... Jordan is one of those people that can do that, but he needs to have more and more in order to be able to function. So it's kind of crazy 
how deep into the hole he gets with the drugs and the alcohol and all of the mixture of it all. Well, and unlike Jordan Belfort, the nameless friend who you mentioned uh, is not committing horrible crimes and doing terrible, terrible things. But for Jordan, at 830, he's at a dance club where he takes some more pills and that brings him into the amnesia phase of which we see him, you know, again, having sex, which he's apparently doesn't know who who or what he is at that moment. Yeah. And then we get on the airplane. Man, this scene is rough, dude. It's fucking terrible and it's like these are just what what's what's so much worse than just being an asshole is that they are unpunished assholes right right they're they're rewarded assholes yeah yeah, yeah. because just as they're getting on and i'm not going to go into the details of all the things they're doing with the stewardesses or how inappropriate and terrible their behavior is yeah but it is definitely and you could and i just picture being the other because this is a not a private plane this is a you know, commercial airliner. And I just picture being the other people that are on this plane. Well, and clearly like he has, uh, as we see what happens uh, when the plane lands, he is clearly like someplace else and the drugs are taking him someplace else. And I'm not going to sit here and try to give Jordan Belford any kind of credit or anything or say this is a cry for help or whatever. But I mean, if Donnie is telling you, you're going too far, you really need to listen that you're going too far. Do you know what I'm saying? And yes. So, you know, if Donnie is the voice of reason in the room, you're in the wrong room. You got to get out of that room as quickly as possible. And just hearing them, hearing him retell all the things that Jordan did and watching the flashbacks of him. By the way, Donnie wasn't sitting on the wall going, you guys should stop doing that. He was taking part in it as well. But clearly he has a way of controlling himself to a certain degree. Uh, until we get to the Quaalude situation, uh, you know. Well, no, cl- yeah, I, I have to, I have to disagree. Yeah, prop, uh, prop Don, Donnie's right. the guy who whipped his dick out and started masturbating publicly at the party. So, so no, I don't think that Donnie has the ability to control himself. Yes, but no one felt the need to strap him to a chair in order to. Con- so I feel like he, I feel like Jordan has gone to that <laughs> next level that even Donnie is afraid to cross uh, the Rubicon into uh, because he he knows he can't go back once he crosses that line. Jordan seems to be able to cross that line and then incur these reactions, you know? So, and this well, trip is an insane trip. So, well, and to be, so first of all, to be clear on what you, what you just mentioned is that we cut from just the chaos of them getting on the plane yeah. to daylight and we're looking at Jordan's face and he ke- suddenly can't move. And then the camera reveals that he has been strapped to his seat by multiple seatbelts. Yes. Because his behavior is so bad. Here's the big thing that I was thinking about is that, you know, the term uh, hitting bottom, which is, you know, a a AA term for you get to the low point that's so low that you realize that your life has become unmanageable. Right. Extreme wealth prevents you from hitting bottom. All all of these things that they have been through and we're going to see more in the future. Yeah. Like he shouldn't get away with what happened on this fucking plane. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. But he does get away with it. And, and and I think you mentioned this in the first part, but like the he's starting to freak out because he's tied up. He's doing the lockjaw. Yeah. Our unnamed friend has done the lockjaw. Uh, <laughs> I've witnessed the lockjaw. The I have I have personally had the lockjaw once yeah. or twice. I don't know if you have Steve, but yeah, sure. It, it's a weird feeling when you're going through it. And what happens here is so interesting because he needs Donnie to stroke his face or stroke his head to bring him back to some level of normal. Yeah. Um, and so clearly this is a guy who's very fucked up 
in his um, perceptions of what he needs and who he needs it from. Uh, and so in so, such a desperate state that he almost reverts to being a child and needing his father to stroke his hair in order to come back to normal, you know? Well, and, and just to be really clear, yeah. when we saw horrible behavior when they got on the plane, there is a quick flashback as Donnie is mm. describing the things that happened, including calling the captain the N-word, apparently, yes. Yes. is that he is, you know, sexually assaulting the stewardess. Yes, it is, is clearly assault. Yeah. And so and then we cut to. Oh, and we have one other important moment of asking, where are the lewds? And they are up Donnie's butt. Um. And then we cut to him in customs, and there's just this brief moment where he there might be some consequences, yeah. and then clearly some rich person called some other rich person who called a powerful person, and they say, you're free to go. You know what's crazy, Steve? And I don't want to digress, but we are in a, and this film was 10 years ago, all right? Our society is held together by this idea that the rich in mass won't take advantage of their wealth to an extreme degree. And the masses believe that we can still aspire to living a comfortable life. And if we do the right things, the comfortable life will be there for us. If a couple of things break our way. But what we're seeing in this scene here is what I feel is starting to happen in larger numbers in our world in more extreme degrees, which is the rich going, you know what? We kind of don't have to fucking care about the rules anymore. And more and more rich people are starting to really, and wealthy people, and I mean on all sides of the world. I don't mean, I'm not choosing any political lane or spectrum. I mean all across all political lanes and spectrums, we're seeing rich people allowing themselves to take advantage of their wealth in larger numbers that benefit them in larger numbers. And we're seeing the system of checks and balances breaking down more and more to allow this to happen. And, and so when I'm watching this scene, I'm like, he just gets away with it. And as you said earlier, he just keeps getting away with it. And it isn't until really the end. And even then in the end, no, he still gets away with it. I, I, I was yeah. say, not, he doesn't really, you know, he gets, does get away with it. Yeah. The, the, the note I have here and I put it in bold is this is why I hate these people is <laughs> like the, I mean, you, you, there's so many things <laughs> where someone who is poor yeah. crosses a small line and oh, they, yeah. they're five years in jail. Right. Oh, and someone, okay. yeah, and someone who's rich, they just keep getting rewarded and getting away with shit. Yeah, you know, and, and it's like I don't believe that all rich people are evil. I no. don't believe all poor people are good. I do believe that there are double standards that are completely one hundred percent disgustingly unfair. Yeah, and we create a tenuous relationship between the haves and the have-nots for our society to function. And the second the balance goes too far one way or the other, if there's not a quick fixing of that uh, society could absolutely implode and that's what seems to feel like lately there there we're veering way too close to that red zone of this kind of a situation but he gets out and we're heading and, he's yeah, anyway, yeah. and we're we're heading off to meet a swiss banker which is uh jean dujardin who plays jean jacques sorel yeah um and he's great 
And one of the things they said about him was that he he is Swiss, but his English was so excellent that he could improvise in English. Mm. Because so much of this movie that they, they they had the script and then they improvised on the script and he yeah. could totally keep up. And I like a that Jordan skips the required 10 minutes of small talk <laughs> and then immediately goes under what circumstances would you be obligated to cooperate with an FBI or a, or a US Justice Department investigation for example and his answer is basically for most of the crimes yeah it's not a crime in Switzerland the the US can't do anything and it at the moment and this is you got to be a master of the rules of filmmaking to yeah. violate the rules of filmmaking. And here's one where he violates them, which is he's trying to get clear answers about exactly what the Swiss law will do and what this bank yeah. will do. And so we hear his voiceover. What I'm asking you, Swiss dick, is are you going to fuck me over? And then, and this is what I mean by totally violating, we never do this in a film. You yeah. only have one voiceover and people can't telepathically read each other's <laughs> voiceover. But that is what they do because then the Swiss banker says, I understand perfectly, you American shit. <laughs> <laughs> like their voiceover is having a conversation, which is hilarious. Yeah, I agree 100%. And and also, again, Steve, why you cast someone like Jean Duzarjan, Duzarjan, who's such a good actor and, of course, wasn't the lead in The Artist, he has such a um, great classic face, but he can convey that kind of shitty European condescension that yes. uh, you see occasionally. And so the back and forth between the both of them, it's such a genius tactic, right? Like you said, he's so smart, Scorsese. He understands the right tactic to use in this moment and has fun with it. And he doesn't overuse it. It's just in a couple of moments. It's, it's a couple of moments. Mm -hmm. and, and what we get to is that, well, if it's stock fraud... That is a crime in Switzerland, and so right. they would be able to investigate. Assuming the account is under your name. If it were another name, a friend, a camarade. Cousin? And then we get, again, our second voiceover where they respond to each other. Was that yodeling I just heard, or did you just say what I thought you said? Yes, yes. He's telling me to use a fucking rat hole. Which is what he's been doing in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now he needs to find someone with a European passport because that's the way he's going to move this money in. Cut to Aunt Emma. Mm -hmm. How do you say rat hole in British? Whatsoever. If you get into any trouble whatsoever, I'll come forth immediately. I'll say that I duped you. That I promise. Risk is what keeps us young, isn't it, darling? And this scene, it's funny. Again, this is like exactly what's in the book other than the fact that I think it's Aunt Patricia in the book. But other than that, what happens in this scene is pretty much exactly what happens in the book. <laughs> um, and do you, f I reading the book didn't find it believable that he just confesses all these things to aunt Patrice mm. or Patricia. I'm a drug addict. I really am. I, I mean, cocaine pills, whatever it is, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, I'm, I'm a sex addict too. Do you find it believable in this scene that he confesses everything to Emma? Yeah, I do. I do because clearly he's a guy who is getting desperate and um, is lost. And the scene on the plane is a real strong indication mm. of that. And then the scene with um, this banker is a real indication of that too, because 
He's not willing to indulge in the 10 minutes of small talk. He just wants to cut to the chase. That tells me that he's getting more and more frantic, just like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas, right? He's speeding and trying to, you know, looking at, he's meeting with all these different people at the same time to try to make sure his stuff's lined up and no one's going to turn him in or he's not, none of them's going to lead back to him. So uh, you see that the plates are starting to spin. And so him divulging the information to her is believable because he's got to get to what he's got to get to and he's got to make sure that everybody understands the stakes. And so it does make sense that he would reveal this. Plus it's family, you know? I, I Yeah. I mean, I look, the guy's a crazy person. And yeah. so the, it's sort of like, you kind of have to believe everything on some level. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but particularly when he gets to him being a sex addict, uh, telling that to your wife's aunt is yeah. kind of weird. And then he goes to this thing of it's just my job, you know, it's uh, all these people dependent on me, tens of millions of dollars at stake. You know, it's sometimes I feel like I I've been on more than I can chew. This is the line he plays in the book a lot, too. And it's totally a line to gain sympathy. And and I, for one, gain no sympathy for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this is a big line of bullshit. And she says in a very soft voice. You're a man with large appetites. Yeah. Is she fucking hitting on me? <laughs> to release the tension. She is hitting on me. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Do you think she was hitting on him? The way it's acted, yes. A hundred percent. But I think this is also, as you said, the entire movie is Jordan's point of view or Jordan's perspective. So in his mind, he is reading her comments uh, in a certain way. And look, there are plenty of women who are listening to us, plenty of women in our lives who have said certain things that are innocently said or said in a way that makes sense to them. But the man interprets a different thing completely from their signals and from their signs. So that's what we're getting here is Jordan's point of view of how she's saying it. Um, And I wish we had had another perspective where we saw how she was saying it and it was totally tossed off and it wasn't right. the deal. So we have the balance. Um, but no, we have her surprise coming up in just a few seconds. <laughs> but, but by the way, I realized that I have multiple times been foolishly in the exact opposite position where someone came up to me after and said, you know, she was totally hitting on you. Right. And I'm like, no, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and then he kind of, uh, leans in, puts his arm around her, and says, "Suppose we uh, we all just need to learn uh, learn to do what comes naturally in life, you know." And then we get her voiceover. Is he fucking hitting on me? <laughs> <laughs> that's goddamn funny. I mean, it it's is. real. I hate these people, but I, I don't hate Anna necessarily. But it's that is really funny. It's perfectly jarring because yeah. you were kind of maybe caught up in the illicitness of this like oh an aunt and oh oh this could be something and then it comes uh, you know it comes screeching to a halt which I mean, he, well he kisses her and she does kiss him back to some degree right and then she says you take care of my niece my love i'll take care of everything over here right she pulls away but again right how many women have had a guy kiss them and they're like just kind of thrown off by it and they remain in the kiss for a few seconds and then push the guy off because then they, they come because there's a shock factor in this where sometimes men do go 
for the kiss quickly. And the woman is just kind of taken by surprise and, and is there for a few seconds, but then immediately pushes him off once they get their bearings. And so it seems like she gets her bearings and then pushes him off and says, no, take care of my, uh, my niece. That's your job. Blah, blah, blah. So, well, this is, and this is where, Look, Martin Scorsese says he makes a specific choice, and his mm-hmm. choice is to stay within Jordan's perspective. Yes. And as we talked about in the last part, he doesn't choose to show the consequences with the people that Jordan victimizes. Yes. And so he doesn't – he could have – we we never – you know, we've only heard Jordan Belfort's story about what happened here. And as you right. said – Right. We could have given different direction to that actress. You know, we could have yep. made the moment after made him look like a complete asshole. Right. But instead, what the film does is say, oh, there was some ambiguity here and maybe she was kind of into it. And what is this relationship? And the moment totally works. I said it was goddamn funny. It yep. really it does work. But it also doesn't make Jordan look worse, which it could have had yes. to handle it differently. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, right. You don't want to lose the audience supporting we're not supporting but being wanting to see what the uh, protagonist is doing so you have to kind of walk that line and he does that so well with uh with a number of scenes in this movie well and this is the thing about filmmaking that it's there are a million different ways to tell a story and this is how scorsese told chose to tell this story yeah you could have told it a lot of different ways yeah you know uh, you could have told you could have told the FBI story. You could have it could be a story about Dunham and his investigation of this scumbag. Oh, right, good point. You know, that's you a movie. A lot of time in the offices. That's yeah. a great point, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to <laughs> sex on a whole bed of money, <laughs> and we start to come up with a plan, which is we need a whole bunch of this cash to get to Europe, and Emma can't carry it all. So we have Brad, who happened to uh, marry a woman who is of Slovenian origin, but born in Switzerland. And so she and her whole family can carry money. And we, and we now cut to a shot of them taping tens of thousands of dollars to her body. I don't quite know how we're going to get away with this. Don't forget about my money. I'm sorry. What's that? Hey, I, I forgot to tell you. He's got some, he's got some my money. money. We got a couple mil coming in like a week. Yeah. And when it gets in, I'll give you a call. You come pick it up. And Brad goes, you give me a call. Well, we don't fucking work for you, man. Sweetheart, you have my money taped to your tits. Okay, technically you do work for me. Yeah, I was never more a Brad fan than I am in this moment. Like, I would have done the exact same thing. I'd have pummeled that guy within an inch of his life for that kind of situation. I mean, if I could get away with it, of course. Yeah. Well, but, like, that that moment, yeah, he, he's so dismissive to Brad, you know. And, I, it's, I, I, I think it's come up another time on The Cinephiles. I can't remember when, but, like... No. People who equate one kind of power to another kind of yeah. power often make a big mistake. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, oh, you know what it is? It might have been in The Incredibles where Wallace Shawn is screaming at uh, Mr. Incredible. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're a tiny man. He's like a giant. Yeah. Like you just because you're his boss, you think you can abuse him like this. This is making a mistake. You're going to get hurt, which, of course, he does. You know, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so Brad pulls uh, Jordan outside and he is furious. And you tell that fucking piece of shit he comes correct. I will. He comes in all fucking loopy and fucked up. I swear to God, I'm a mess at douchebag's teeth. Which, of course, is when Jonah Hill comes out. This is so well shot, Steve. And look. These are the moments where, as a direct, as a as a viewer of the film, you can forget how good of a director someone is, because you're caught up in the visuals and the cinematography. But whipping the camera left to right in a moment like this is so great because we that um, voyeuristic nature that all I think all of us have at varying degrees and levels within us is immediately triggered. 
And we're like, oh shit, here we go. And we're whipping left to right. It's so smart to make, turn us into, turn the camera into essentially uh, us as we're watching this thing go down. And it brings us into the scene in a visceral way as well. I totally agree. And you just are like, and it's funny, like, it's not like Brad's a good guy. No, no, no. But, but you're totally team Brad, I think, in this yeah. scene, because Donnie just won't stop being condescending and insulting. Yeah. And, f- and it's funny, there's a moment Brad pulls out a gun, but the gun ends up with Jordan. I, I think Brad goes, I don't want this gun on me right now. Yeah. I, I think that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then Brad knocks him out. <laughs> yeah. Just straight up knocks him out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's in your notes or something, but um, uh, Jonah said that uh, John actually hit him. John oh, legitimately hit him. Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't have that. Did it, he- yeah, it was like part of the scene. And Jonah was fine with it afterwards, but because there were apparently, like you said, there were moments in the previous parts, there are moments where people are just like caught up in the mania of this movie and it becomes like a group think type of thing. Yeah. In this moment, they were all caught up in the scene. And Jonah said to john like i want you to really kind of tag me but like he ex- expected john to tag him with a little bit of a pulled punch uh and he had been pulling his punches before and and jonah said to him i want you to like i want you to do it but don't pull as much and john just went after it so wow. uh, john had a reaction to it for sure so i would expect that guy hits hard uh yes yes i've met john in real life that guy is him and Frank Grillo are two of the low-key scariest dudes I've ever met in real hmm. life who are also actors. Uh, they legitimately can and, – and they're good people. Like they're good, intelligent, well-thought-out guys, but they do care about their bodies. And there's an energy that comes off of them that is very masculine and, and, and can be scary. But you know, when they talk to you, they're very warm people. But like they've got that energy as a protective mechanism. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um don't get uh, punched by either of them yeah I, I don't think i, I you know i've been punched in the face a few times and oh, sure yeah it, it's not something i relish you know <laughs> um a body blow i'm okay with but like yeah. punched in the face is face is not fun yeah. um but off goes aunt emma and chantal and her family to switzerland they move 20 million dollars in cash without any problem and one other thing we see is that our swiss banker uh, seems to be having an affair with Chantal. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to an exterior of like a strip mall. And there is Brad waiting for Donnie who pulls swerving up in his Rolls Royce. Can't put the parking brake on. The car is rolling. He stumbles out completely fucked up. Brad is furious. And then, ta-da, he's sober and it was a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. I'm sober. Jesus Fucking joke. Fucking stupid. Stupid. Fucking driving you like a fucking maniac. You know the attention that that fucking draws. I'm not stupid. Fucking Donnie, man. (laughs) Um, So, A, this wasn't Donnie. This was one of the other guys that had this botched exchange with the drug dealer. Yeah. Um, Well, and this is what, you know, good screen. When you hear, like, oh, some characters were combined. Yes, this is this is what good screenwriting does. Yes, it is not accurate in terms of who actually did this, right. but it makes this story because you've developed these characters and the relationship with Donnie and Brad. Yeah. And now we're bringing it to this point. And Donnie is fucking terrible to Brad. Yeah, 100 percent. And I feel and it's so weird to like feel sympathy for the good hearted drug deal dealer. You know what I mean? Like it's like Brad seems almost like a good, a responsible person compared to Donnie. Yeah. And 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 uh 
um, Jordan has kind of christened him, yeah, from all the way back in the diner as kind of a uniquely different guy that he actually respects more than all of these other guys. So we have that kind of going for us if we buy into the Donnie point of or the uh, Jordan point of view. So we clearly are on his side over Donnie. And and the thing is, is like they are. It's not a drug deal that they're making, but they are doing an illegal exchange. Yeah. yeah. And Donnie won't fucking stop talking, and he's like talking about why he should get an apology for getting punched, and then he's mocking Brad in every way, mm-hmm. calling him all sorts of names, and Brad's just like, just give me the briefcase. Um. And while this is all happening, there we see the cop car, and th- and we go from. I mean, the levels of insults and, you know, then he's, yeah. the long thing about him being, you know, gay, attracted to Donnie. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's the emperor of Foxville or all this stuff. I could totally see this was all improv. Yeah. I need you to open up the briefcase. I need you to take out every single dollar. Don't leave one dollar inside the briefcase. And once you have it all neatly organized outside of the briefcase, I need you to take it. And I need to shove it right up your wife's Latvian cunt. You understand? Oh, my now, yes. Donnie knows this guy has a gun. Yes. Donnie knows that this guy is violent. Yes. I, I guess that's all I have to say. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with Donnie? He's a fucking moron. Listen, at the heart of a lot of dudes is a self-destructive impulse. And <laughs> it is, especially guys who cross the lines and push the boundaries and seek the easy way out of situ or seek the easy route to money or easy route to power. There is a self-destructive impulse. There is a sense of entitlement. And right behind that is the guilt of the entitlement. Uh, And that is, I think what comes out psychologically in these moments. Now, in no way am I telling you this so that people will be forgiving of these kinds of people, because at some point you're an adult. And if you ain't handling shit, you get whatever the result of it is. If you're not handling your shit, but that is, I think that is at the heart of the, a lot of the actions that are going on from a lot of the people involved in Jordan Belfort's world. And certainly Donnie is one of these guys who clearly has a punishment fetish, but mm. also has a serious like um, desire or serious self-destructive impulse. Because why would you pull all these shenanigans in a public place? And I know it's a, someone else who did it. But if we're doing the construct of the movie, yeah. why would you pull standing as like this in public place? And then why would you incur the wrath of someone who could kill you or dismember you or just knock you the fuck out? And as we see in the next few moments, Donnie finally finally realizes that he has gone that one line too far, the one step too far. <laughs> For me, he went he went too far like twenty seven lines ago, but this one definitely sure. is even more too far. Yeah. Uh, and Brad starts to come at him and trips over that briefcase exposing the money and boom there's the siren and here come the police and donnie the rich guy drives away in his rolls yep, takes off and brad tries to run and he's got the gun which he drops and then you know he ends up realizes he can't get there's no way for him to get away and he drops the case and just yeah. screams ah! and donnie gets to watch as they put him in the police car fucking donnie and then there's just a great cut to him at his desk and the camera pushes in and jonah hill looks terrified yeah i don't know if anybody listening to us has ever had that moment where you where you fuck up like that and you're sitting there and you're thinking of all the scenarios and your balls are turning to liquid and your fear is just absolutely consuming you i've had a couple of moments like that for sure in my life um and so i thought i thought this was so well directed the slow pan in and jonah hill's just 
You can tell his brain is going a mile a minute, but they all end up, all the scenarios, like Doctor Strange in Endgame, all the scenarios end up with him dying, (laughs) except for maybe one. And so he is just uh, like taking in that fact in that moment. So it's great performance in this scene. Well, and, and I want to point out, like, this is the great screenwriting of figuring this out because all of the events that are going to happen, including the one that just happened did happen, but none of them happened connected to each other. So what they decided was the whole thing with the lemons and these special ludes and them taking it, that totally happened. Mm -hmm. But what they decided was they went, Oh, the motivation for the ludes for the lemons is Donnie's guilt and fear over what just happened with Brad. They're not connected in the book at all. They're, they happen way far away from each other. Right, right. But they go, like, th- they turn it into a character motivation, which is Donnie's freaked out about this thing. He knows Jordan's going to kill him. And so this is his way of sort of putting up a camouflage, you know. When it comes to Quaaludes, the Lemon 714 was the holy grail. Can you believe it? I thought they were like a myth. Three times as powerful as anything available today. Look at these babies. Boy, Donnie really knew how to celebrate. And Donnie's been saving them for a special occasion. That special occasion is he just really fucked up hugely. I like that. uh, I don't like. I think it's (laughs) funny that in order to prepare for the really good drugs, Jordan makes himself throw up and gives him an enema to clean out his system. And they decide to only take one. That's how strong these things are. So I think they're being pretty responsible in their drug use. You know, they're starting off slow. They take one, 35 minutes go by, nothing. And then they take another. And I simultaneously, you know, seeing this the first time, knew where this was going and really could have no possible idea of where this was going to (laughs) go. This begins my favorite overall sequence of the movie. Um, because this is incredible and because steve we i'm sure i know i have i don't know if you have but i'm sure we know people who have uh have that moment where they're like i'm not feeling anything you feel anything oh yeah I'm not feeling anything and then i oh my I, god <laughs> i have mostly been responsible ish around this particular issue but i have also chased the dragon and the dragon won you know oh yeah Oh, yeah. uh, because it, there, there was a particular time where uh, I, there was a fungus involved and the fungus wasn't working. Oh, oh, my God. And we had some more of it. And then we had some more of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it started working. <laughs> my most I, was, I think my most recent one was at somebody's birthday party. I don't want to say their name. Uh, they might be on the show with us right now. But like the there was a powder. Mm. And that powder did not hit me until way later and when it did it was like muhammad ali and mike tyson were using me for a punching bag and it was insane um and i just kept thinking oh well maybe i built a tolerance and all of a sudden oh no and it was like oh man yeah so there there was one and i believe the drug was called something like faclau or something (laughs) and i don't it was a friend of mine and it was like something related to tobacco that came from southeast asia oh and you oh my god and you you smoked it and they're like just take a really big uh hit it was in a bong and just smoke and then but we were outside and the match kept going out so i took like a little hit and a little hit and then a little hit we're trying to get the you know to stay lit and i'm not thinking that i've just had like three small hits which was pretty much a hit 
And then they finally got the wind blocked and I took the big hit. And then I literally, my entire body weighed like 9,000 pounds. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I was like paralyzed. Yeah. And they're like, look, Steve's having a great time. And I couldn't say, speak the words like, fuck you. I'm not having a good time. <laughs> this is bad. And like, don't worry. It only lasts like five minutes. It's just a quick, I was a half an hour that I could not fucking move. Yeah. yeah. And finally I was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Get off the phone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so now they're, they're working out and it's still not working. And now they take some more. And then there's a phone call for Jordan. And it's from our private eye who basically says, Leave the fucking house, Jordan. And they call me from a payphone. This is not a fucking joke, Jordan. So he leaves Donnie, which, by the way, never leave a man behind. You no, like always, always stick together. It's important rules. Gets in his Ferrari, drives to the country club where the local payphone is. Your little friend there, Brad, your little buddy, he's in jail. I don't know what he did. My friends in Long Island told me he got picked up in some fucking shopping mall. He got locked up. By wait, wait, did you, did, wait, wait did you say a shopping mall? Which makes Jordan realize that it was Donnie who did it. That guy Denham, that FBI agent guy, somebody told me he's got your phones tapped, your office and your home. Don't talk on the motherfucking phone. Okay. He asked him if he tried to bribe the FBI agent. And he said, no, why didn't try to bribe an FBI agent? You think I'm that fucking stupid? No. What the fuck are you saying? I can't understand. Say that again. <laughs> Because he hit the slur stage. I said, It's interesting because we see Jordan fall, and then we're going to kind of rewind back in time a little bit mm. with him talking on the phone. And we have this great, again, another great shot of the reflection in the metal of the payphone of Jordan as he's starting to lose it. After 15 years in storage, the lemons had developed a delayed fuse. It took 90 minutes for these little fuckers to kick in, but once they did, pow. And then the shot of the camera falling with him as he goes down, which was a, like a huge rig that they had to put Leo in and the camera is attached to this rig and it all moves together. And it's very much like an evolution of the shot, you know, that, that Scorsese started doing in Mean Streets. Yeah. That Spike Lee kind of does his own variation of that we saw when we talked about Malcolm X mm -hmm. of of the camera attached to the person. This I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I want to bring up this the, <laughs> just a couple of this. I mean, just it is madness on so many levels. And I remember when I saw this movie and that when it was over, I that scene stuck with me. This scene that we're currently talking about stuck with me, and it has stuck with me forever. And and I said that this is the scene that you should have to perform believably to leave any acting college. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, That's a high bar. That's what I'm saying. If you can hit this scene believably as an actor, you should have no problem finding work once you get out into the real world. And I was like just blown away by this. And you're right. And again, it's not just DiCaprio's performance. Again, it's Scorsese's direction here. What an interesting idea to use what he's using and the rigs, as you said, and the gear and the way they're shooting this all, it works so well. Because again, it viscerally brings you inside the experience. Even if you've never done drugs, you can somewhat relate to what's happening here and the horror and the terror and the insanity of all that's happening because of the camera techniques that Scorsese is using. It's, it's so well 
done, you know? These little bastards were so strong, I discovered a whole new phase, the cerebral palsy phase. What Leo does physically, and, and like, look, I know that The Revenant is one of the most notoriously difficult shoots and yeah. you know, fighting the bear and all the insanity. And I'm sure mm -hmm. that was more painful and difficult than this. Yeah. But what Leo does physically is totally fucking amazing in this scene. And it had to hurt. I mean, there's so many things oh, that just had to hurt. Sure, of course. Um, and like, I love, and I, 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 again, I, you know, I can relate. I can't relate to Jordan Belfort as a human because he's a horrible person, but I can relate to the, like, oh, I could crawl. Like having a discovery <laughs> when you're messed up about how you could pull something off. <laughs> and like this discovery was I can crawl. <laughs> we are not advocating the use of drugs, by the no. way, by us remembering these moments. But yeah, we can thank God we can laugh about him now because, yeah, in those moments when you discover the most basic things, uh, you feel like you've discovered electricity or E equals MC squared, like in that moment. You feel like you've broken some kind of uh, uh, unbreakable problem. <laughs> you know what's funny is at the beginning of part one, we talked about like, and that 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 even when the drug story is terrible, yeah, it's usually frequently pretty funny, you know, and it's yeah. fun to tell the stories. And again, we're not advocating for this. No, not at all. But and I'm not certainly not advocating for Jordan Belfort, but it is funny, you know. Yes. Um. And then he gets out, you know, belly crawls his way out of the front and then has another great discovery as he's at the top of the stairs. Yes, I got it. I've got it. I can roll. I can roll. This is the Oscar performance. This scene is the scene is what you give him the Oscar for. I mean, just he's so believable in how he's doing all of this and um, where he's going with it and how he's physically moving himself through the situation as well, too. It's so good, man. They, they, by the way, didn't know that the Ferrari had those, you know, gold wing doors until they were on the set. And so they're going like, well, how do I open these doors? And, and Scorsese's like, I don't know. How do you open this door? <laughs> like, what do you do? And that's just something they discovered of him using his foot to open that thing. <laughs> Gets in the car, the phone rings, and it's a call from Naomi because Donnie is going insane. Yeah. And, is, and he is on the phone calling some Swiss guy. Yeah. And, and, of course, Jordan just found out that the phone is bugged, and Donnie is calling the guy that they're sending their laundered money to, you know. Go for it! What the fuck you're saying, Jordan? Can you just get home? Hurry. <laughs> and, yeah, Jordan Belfort's going to drive that Ferrari. I was less than a mile from home. I drove as slow as I fucking could. And then he's getting out of the car and the voiceover says, I made it home alive. <sighs> Not a scratch on me or the car. <laughs> By the now, way, you, let me ask you. No, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Well, maybe I'm going to ask you the same question. Yes. When you saw this movie the first time, did you believe this? Yes, I did. I totally believed him because he's got, he had gotten away with so much because this is right around the two-hour mark. He'd gotten away with so much in the first two hours of the movie that I was like, oh, man, I guess he did do it. So that when the reveal of, of what actually happened happens, it's such a great reveal. It's such a great reveal. 
you know. What? Yes, I'm the same. I I think I think when I first saw it, I believed him, and 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 went how could how could that be possible? And of course, then we find out what happens. Um, this next everything this you're right. This whole sequence is amazing, and this next scene is just fucking bonkers because yeah. here's all the things that's happening. First of all, his daughter is in the room. Yeah. So so that's fucking nuts. And and Naomi is trying to get the kid out of there and calm them down. Yeah. Jordan is not capable of speech. The no. phone is bugged. Donnie is high and having a great time. Yeah. Donnie didn't tell him about the arrest, which Jordan just found out about. Yeah. I mean, so there's that's all the the fuel for what's going on. And Jordan just kind of launches himself across the counter at Donnie, who has no idea what's going on. And he's trying to get him to get off the phone. And then they end up on the ground with the phone line wrapped around them fighting. It is so fucking funny. Yeah. And sad at the same time, right? Because for all their money, for all their success, for all their talking down to people, for all their uh, titans of industry bullshit, here are two dudes uh, uh, rolling around on the floor high as hell like children, like little teenagers um, because they can't handle their high. They've pushed it too far. And the dawn, and it's dawning on them um, the consequences of their actions are coming to visit them finally no it's it's completely insane and dicaprio and hill they just they go for it and and it's amazing and then donnie gets away and goes to eat something and starts choking donnie's not breathing fuck i don't know what to do donnie i don't know what the fuck to do i can't help it oh my god jordan and we have popeye on the tv and jordan realizes he needs his superpowers, grabs something out of the drawer, and I love the uh, juxtaposition of him snorting cocaine with Popeye eating spinach and having that muscle pop up with that music. It is hilarious. I love that music, yeah. And he, you know, does pounds the chest, does rescue breaths, and Jordan and, and Donnie spits up the meat, and we we have saved his life. Yeah, he was ready to kill him. And yet here he is because he really does care about him saving his life. And I love that it ends with Jordan doing like a fucking uh, Tarzan pounding of the chest type thing. You know, like I'm a man. I've accomplished this. (laughs) So first of all, this scene, Jonah Hill said was the most insane thing he'd ever done in his entire life. No doubts. (laughs) No doubts. Second thing is, it wasn't Donnie who choked on something. What happened was, it's again, it's a different person, totally different time, not during the Quaalude thing. It was another friend, asshole guy that they work with that they did lots of drugs with who took a bite of a cheeseburger and then jumped in the pool and he looked down and found him on the bottom of the pool and Jordan dragged him up uh, and did he didn't do cocaine in order to get superpowers, but he did, uh, you know, get his windpipe cleared. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, I go like, this is brilliant structure of mm-hmm. taking these, all these different events and putting them together in one sequence. And that sequence is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Jordan Belford after this just was in the book is just, you know, all over himself with what a hero he is for saving this guy's life. Just like, come on, I'm a hero, hero, right? Hero. <laughs> Mr. Belford. 
Mr. Belford. And there are some cops. Yeah. And and again, what does he do with the cops? He swears at the cops. He yells right. at the cops. But get the fuck out of my house. Right. Again, does a poor person get away with doing that? No. No, absolutely not. Let's go. Come on. I've been here up. all night. Let's I've been sitting here all night. What the fuck are you talking about? Wait a minute. Where are you taking it? Fuck you, thing. Did you drive your car tonight, Mr. Balfour? Huh? And there we see the completely wrecked Ferrari. Hilarious. Wow. Maybe I hadn't made it home okay. <laughs> and we cut to the actual drive of him pulling out of that uh, country club, just destroying every fucking car, swerving all over the road. It was a miracle I wasn't killed. Well, you know that I didn't kill anybody else. The cops took me in for questioning, but they couldn't charge me. They had no proof I was even behind the wheel. Yeah, I guess that's true. There's no video evidence or anything like that. Uh, I, I call, I'll call bullshit on that because... Like, there's a house full of drugs, cocaine (laughs) everywhere. Like, did they give him a, did they give him a a drug test? Like, this guy, you know, a poor person in this exact circumstance. Oh, yeah. Does not get away with this. No, no, of course not. And the other thing we find out is that Brad did three months in jail for contempt because he wouldn't out Donnie. Yeah. So even though Donnie is a horrible, was horrible to him, he stayed loyal to Donnie. Hmm. Or to Jordan, more likely. Yeah. We're at a like a horse pasture, and Dad and John Favreau are pushing him to make a deal with the SEC. Pay a couple million dollars in fines in exchange. The SEC fucks off till the end of time. And Jordan is resisting. What, 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 what do you have to think about? You 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 beat them. You won. This whole thing about beating them mm. was I I don't know I it, it's. It's just this rationalization for an asshole who's like, he, he, he wasn't in a mission to, to, it makes it sound like he thinks he's in some sort of mission against some Titanic bad guys or something. Oh, listen, what did we just see? Rupert Murdoch retire mm. from Fox News and claim that the elites were forcing him out. The, this multi-billion dollar media mogul sees himself as an outsider, as a rebel, as a non-elite. So to me, the rich lie to themselves all the time that they are either the victims or they are the people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps with no one's help, which is always an utter lie. And so with Jordan, um, you know, his father clearly had uh, accomplishments and, and what have you. So there was a little bit of a better leg up for him. So, but his idea that the perception or the narrative that he tells himself is that he's the outsider who, you know, came from nothing and, having trouble paying his bills and he was able to essentially uh, cheat money out of uh, all these people, these hardworking people who actually do a, know what a good day's work is all about. And, but he is the victim, right? That the, and so this is the thing and, and poor people or people who see themselves as poor uh, some people, right? I'm not going to say all, I don't want to generalize. They create this idea once they try to achieve success is that they are the outsider. They are the rebel. They are the one that's going to break the system. And then once they achieve the success, they can't understand that they are now part of the system. They don't want to accept that they're part of the system. So his idea of having beaten them, um, he sees them as trying to be trying to stop a regular dude when they should have been going after um, the big corporations. So in a way, he sees himself, like you were just saying, a rich person wouldn't get away with doing things that yeah. he did here. He conveniently sees himself as a victim or a poor person who's being 
um, stepped on by the system when it works for him and then a rich person when it works for him as well. So he plays both sides with whatever works to help him get out of a situation. And so, yes, this is the messed up uh, narrative in his mind that he's using to um, claim that he didn't beat them. So. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I can't think of any other rich people who continually claim to be victims and gain a following <laughs> with, with their uh, with their outlaw status, and uh, and yet they are absolutely part of the elite while they blame the elite. I can't think of anybody else who does anything like that. Yeah. So we're back at the office, and he's going to resign. He he gets up to make a speech in front of everybody. And he's saying all kind of the right stuff of thanking the right people and the firm's going to be in good hands under Donnie. Yeah. And then he starts to turn on the speech making, you know? All of you know Kimmy Belzer, right? Yes, we do. Fuck you. <laughs> Which I, I, I like. And he goes, now, Most of you met Kimmy, the beautiful, sophisticated woman that she is today. A woman that wears $3,000 Armani suits. <laughs> drives a brand new Mercedes-Benz, a woman who, who spends her, her winters in the Bahamas and her summers in the Hamptons. So one of the things he does all the time is describe wealth as gold. You know what I mean? Like, yes. yes. You know, like, so, so this is, he's still selling in, in this scene. That's not the Kimmy that I met. The Kimmy that I met didn't have two nickels to rub together. She was a single mom on the balls of her ass with an eight-year-old son. Okay, she was three months behind on her rent. And you could see this hitting Kimmy, and she starts crying. Yeah. I think that is, people don't understand what a tough acting gig that is. Yes, it is. That's, I'm so glad you're pointing that out, Steve. Well, what, what makes it so tough? I know why I think it's tough, but I haven't had to do this kind of job. We haven't met Kimmy at yeah. all in the entire movie, right? Now we This is the first real kind of interaction with Kimmy and Jordan. Maybe she's popped up in certain spots, but I can't recall that. So you have to invest this entire relationship in the script, in the back and forth with Jordan. Like you have to uh, convey that you were this woman who was struggling and had children and all this stuff was poor and all this and came into here. And so initially she shows her her veneer of strength by telling the guys to fuck off and all this. Cause God knows what she's had to turn a blind oh, yeah. eye to or what she's had to do sexually, maybe to even be uh, part of this crew. And so she's got all of that, this tough woman veneer. And then as Jordan talks and reveals more and more of their relationship. And by the way, Jordan is also taking passive aggressive shots at her and what she had to do and all of that. So I don't know what's that history there, but again, you've got to create it. And then watch her slowly but surely put down the armor and show the woman that uh, was, uh, you know, scared and poor and wasn't sure, as as Jordan said, didn't have two nickels to rub together. And real emotion comes out and then convey the real love she has for Jordan. And so we see, that once again, this is a cult leader talking to his cult followers and showing the history of one cult follower so it becomes something that other cult followers can connect to through their own journey. And so she has to convey all of that in the reactions, in the back and forth. And she does a wonderful job, a wonderful job conveying the reality of their relationship in just that concise amount of minutes on screen. 
She really does. And now I feel bad because I don't actually have her name in front of me. But I'm oh. going to add I'm going to add one more thing that makes this so hard is that okay. is that this is not a small, intimate scene. This is a huge scene. Right. With like 100 fucking extras yes. with Leonardo DiCaprio on a Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. And she has to fucking deliver in front of all those people. This is the th- this is the thing and we said this before about acting is like, yeah, hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in sports. And this is the same thing with acting is like you're going to wait all day in a fucking trailer yep. and you're going to come up and then you have to deliver in this yeah. moment. You you get, you know, maybe you'll get a couple takes. Yeah. She asked for a five thousand dollar advance just just so she could pay his son's tuition. What I do, Kimmy? Go on, tell him. You wrote me a check for $25,000. And you know why that is? It's because I believed in you. It's because I believed in you, Kimmy. Just like I believe in each and every one of you here today. I fucking love you, Jordan. I fucking love I you. I fucking love you. I love you. I fucking love you, too. And here's the thing about this scene. Break it down, man. I it it totally moves me. Of course, it told it's so good, and I fucking hate Jordan Belfort. Yeah, hate that guy, and yet he cons me in this moment. And I want to point out one other thing: is remember the thing I said? Yes, about him putting people in debt so they would work harder for him. That's exactly what he did with Kimmy. Right, right. He he saw that this is someone who is cutthroat, who is desperate. Yep, to achieve some level of success. So I'm going to put them in debt, uh, and in you know, and in a way, you could argue invest in them, and they are going to find a way to make that money back from me. They're they're going to work even harder. They're going to be even more brutal, more ruthless to achieve the things that they want to achieve. And let me tell you something, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to walk that line a little bit again. Women in a male dominated society have to be more ruthless by necessity in order to achieve success. Uh, and we've seen that from a number of a number. Of, not not all women have to do that, right? But there are a large number of women who have to do that in order to survive within that kind of situation. And so Jordan might have seen because I don't know if Kimmy is a real person or not or whatever or amalgamation, but Jordan must have seen something in the, the, the ruthlessness there and realized, okay, I, I, a shark knows a shark, and so I will absolutely invest in her. But again, the way she's perceived it is that he. He he believed in her, even though he put her in another form of debt. By wiping out one debt, he made her uh, indebted to him financially and emotionally. And that's what cult leaders do. Cult leaders make it fe- make you feel like you are the only person in the world, while they have that sh- shared experience with everyone else in the fucking room. So it's that kind of madness, and you see everybody else is reacting. To oh yeah! Boy, all these extras and all these name actors are reacting. You see the genuine love that Jordan is getting in this moment, and then Jordan makes the fatal—well, not fatal, but makes the mistake, in my opinion, um, in this situation because he's caught up in his power and the love that these people have for him. Well, and I, because I, I think that like all good actors, and Jordan Belfort is on some level a mm-hmm. good actor. You have to believe your performance. Yes. Right. And so when he's saying, I fucking love you too, I think he's feeling love in his way. You know what I mean? I think he sold himself. And this is where the turn starts as he starts reexamining uh, quitting is that he kept telling, he always told his salespeople, never take no for an answer. And he mm-hmm. says, 
you know, this fucking deal that I'm about to sign, it's me taking no for an answer, you know? It's them, it's them selling me, not the other way around. It's, it's me being a hypocrite is what it is. And I just, you know, there's this long pause and I just watch you just going, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> you aren't the only one because yeah. that's a Rob Reiner and your doppelganger is going off oh, at the same time rubbing his head because he knows his son and he knows the stupid thing he's about to do you know what I'm not leaving I'm not fucking leaving so first of all I want to tell you Stephanie Kurtzuba is the actress who plays Kimmy so shout out to her but I'm going to tell you something right now and this is a little bit of a, a tangent for about a minute. Okay. But I'm timing it. Okay. <laughs> Three years ago, or was it two years ago, when I was retiring from the Schmodown, then mm. I had that final match, and it was at a live event. Christian gave me the option to surprise everybody and not retire. And he said, if you, if you, if by the end of the match, if you change your mind, I will work around whatever you improv. And I'm like, okay. And this speech, I had written out a monologue using this speech to do at the end of the match. And I was seconds away from doing it, but my heart wasn't in coming back. Right. But if I had wanted to come back, I was going to deliver a Donnie-like speech. Because in the first two rows of the event were my patrons and my supporters of the Outlaw Nation. People mm. had bought shirts. They'd worn the masks. So I would have like singled one out or singled a couple out from interactions we'd had in the past and used that basic, basically did this whole speech my own way with the outlaw. But then I didn't, I decided to retire and, and not make my, not make the change, but I was going to do it. And I think it would have brought the fucking house down. It would have been awesome. It would be, well, I mean, it would have been great. I, I, I mean, I know having discussed all this with you, <laughs> yes. Um, that I'm glad that you didn't do it because right, right, right. I knew that you wanted to retire and your, and you know, your heart wasn't in it, but it would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. If my heart had been in it, I would have totally done it. Yeah. And I think it would have, yeah, absolutely fucking been great. So, so we have a question from one oh, of our patrons, yes. Anthony Pomis, who says, uh, when Jordan is preparing to quit in front of the entire company, but then decides to keep going, it feels in the viewing of the film that it's already been very long. And the decision to keep going is perhaps a, f a flaw of the film's construction, unless that is perhaps Scorsese's point in his study of excess. What do you think? This is a confusing question. Um, can you interpret it? Uh, I think what he's saying is that he, I think he's saying, look, it's a long movie. Yes. And that this sort of, he feels like this kind of delays the fall by, and so it kind of extends the film. Oh, I disagree with that a hundred percent. I think it shows the final hubris of Jordan. And again, what is the one thing that Brennan asked us about in the first part? Does the film glorify Jordan? No, this is the moment where even like, as the person who sends the question in, is feeling that it's gone too long. So anybody who maybe was in love with Jordan or enjoying Jordan's journey in the movie, despite all the negative things he's doing, this is the moment where even they are like, what the fuck? So any last people holding on to this glorification of Jordan Belfort have to ask themselves, you could have gotten out with hardly any issues, but now by doing this, you've opened the door to all this stuff. And you make Denim a much more important part of the movie by having him disagree or having him uh, not want to quit and 
not want to work with the government and not take the punishment. So it's essential for the movie that he doesn't that he doesn't quit. It's essential. So here's where I I, I might disagree, mm. and and part of it is, and it's funny. I was going to bring up Brendan Marr's question as well, which is about is he glorifying this? And I should have mentioned, by the way, that Brendan Marr is also the host of a podcast called Page Turners. They were not, which is a great Star Wars and occasionally Star Trek podcast. And I'm sure there are lots of uh, Star Wars and Star Trek fans listening to this right now that would like to check it out. So yeah. it's called Page Turners. They were not. Here's the thing. This is an area where this is not what happened. He did resign. Oh. And so, and what happened was, okay. uh, is that he he took the deal from the SEC. Mm-hmm. He also took a million dollars a month in payment from Stratton Oakmont, which was supposed to pay him this for like the next 10 years. A million dollars a month in payment for not working at the company, but there were no rules whatsoever about what that meant. And so he got an office in the same building as Stratton Oakmont and talked to Donnie every day. So he continued to kind of run the company behind the scenes while getting paid by the company. And the other thing he said is he said he knew at this moment that Stratton Oakmont was doomed, that it was no way it would be able to continue. And he was just trying to get, he knew that he was going to get as much money out of it as they possibly could as the company was going down, getting this million bucks a month. And so I actually think I disagree with this choice. The scene's great. The scene's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it totally works in the context of the movie, but this is where I go. I feel like this does glorify Jordan Belfort more. What? Really? I have him do this move. Yeah. Because, because I moved with the, I fucking love you thing with Kimmy. Yeah. Like, but then you're like immediately afterwards going, what the fuck? No. Right. I I am, but I, well, I'd be, it'd be a good question. I'd be a good question for the audience of how they Ooh. feel. Yeah, I okay. think, I think him because him quitting, mm-hmm. taking the money, and wa- and knowing that o- Stratton Oakmont is going down is super despicable. Yeah. And him staying with I fucking love you guys, there are there I think there will be people that will react to it like, man, I, I I'm I, this guy I'm still into this guy, you know. But you still have to tell the story. So if like you were saying earlier how they the script yes. writer, screenwriter does a great job of connecting yeah. these disparate situations and make them into one storyline here for the movie i think it's way more boring that he takes the deal takes the money gets an office talks to donnie it becomes more insidious and yeah. with this it's a much more comical fall from grace it makes him more ridiculous for the stupidity that he's about this this, this is about to happen here with donnie peeing on the subpoena with the guys doing the depositions looking like complete idiots and then later when we end up on the on the boat and all the madness that goes on on the boat. So to me, this makes his fall all the more comical. So whatever cool thing that you thought about Jordan Belfort, all the coolness veneer to me is sheared off of him as right. the film progresses from this point forward. But like you said, you may not agree, Steve, or the people watching may not agree So or listening to us. So yeah, be curious to hear what their thoughts are. Well, it is it is a weird movie. It is yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street is the Wolf of Wall Street, and 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 so I can't argue with how great that scene is. You know, I just go, oh, th- this is where my feelings about it, and and partially it's what I said of like going through it moment by moment and really mm-hmm. thinking about it does to some level does the movie a disservice. I think we cut to another ridiculous party on the yacht. Yeah. Um, where Brad has gotten out of jail and, you know, we have some shenanigans with him. And then we hear... Sad thing was, two years later, he was dead. Massive heart attack, 35. 
same age Mozart died. Not that they have a hell of a lot in common, but... 35. Oof. But by the way, I just briefly want to tell you one of my favorite... Uh, I've talked before about Tom Lehrer, who is this comedy songwriter, one of the wittiest people ever. And there's a bit he has introducing one of his songs where he says... He's talking about really accomplished people. And he says... It's people like that who make you realize how little you've accomplished. <laughs> it is a sobering thought, for example that when Mozart was my age, he had been dead for two years. <laughs> His wit, I just absolutely adore. Um, and as you mentioned, yes, yeah, subpoenas are flying. We get to watch uh, Donnie uh, urinate on one of them, much to the thrill of his office workers. We have this intercut deposition uh, scene which is really funny. And it's, yeah, all these guys going, oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. And and just ridiculousness going all through. And then we cut to Jordan and Donnie in some European city, bag full of money. <laughs> and he says, uh, I'd like Bloody Marys. I have a rare condition which requires me to drink one of these every 15 minutes. Which is totally a reference to Matthew McConaughey's martini order, I think, at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah, right. Yes. A couple of different things happen here. One is, is that Steve Madden, we find out, is selling stock, which he is not supposed to be doing because it's really Jordan's stock. And he's basically betraying them and going to yeah. cost them millions of dollars. And then we see the wives walking up to the boat and Naomi is crying because Aunt Emma died. Yeah. Now, that's doubly dangerous because with Aunt Emma dead, the whole money thing in Switzerland is going to fall apart and he might go to jail for that. Yeah. So this momentary, again, I think, not to go back to that scene, but I think that scene is essential because the momentary explosion of emotion, because all these people support you, you make the wrong decision. And the construct of the movie, right? And not in real life. The construct that you make this wrong decision to not take the deal and stay on right after you have like a minute of celebrating on the yacht and Brad, everything starts to fall apart. Brad dies. Then the uh, Steve Madden is dumping the stock, which actually happened in real life and got in trouble for all this. And then Aunt Emma died. So we're seeing the walls start to crash in on Jordan. So what basically the lesson in this sequence of the movie or the section of the movie to me is don't get caught up with, I don't know, getting caught up or swayed by the group think or what a lot of people are telling. Do what is right. Because that momentary feeling of power is fleeting. And in the end, you'll be stuck back worse than where you were before. So sometimes you may, because people talk about that, that they have a rush of like doing the wrong thing in a certain moment and they get caught up in it when they should have done the right thing. And it's just that momentary desire that leads down the wrong path where you can just resist it, uh, not be cool for a few minutes and uh, kind of have a better result for yourself. So, yeah. That's wise it's wise a, words from the outlaw, man. <laughs> um, Very long-winded, though. I could, could, couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more, though. And we get on the phone with uh, our Swiss banker. You, you aunt, before she died, signed a document naming you as her successor. She did! Oh! <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's good news. Well, not as of yet. <laughs> <laughs> she, this is dead aunt has signed this thing sometime in the future. Uh, and that what we find out is they have to get to Switzerland right away, which this is not true. This didn't happen in the book. Yeah. Um, he, what they did again, they combined two things. The crazy thing that aunt uh, Patricia did die. Yeah. And 
and the crazy thing on the yacht happened, but they weren't, they didn't leave port in the yacht and sail into the storm because they had to get to Switzerland. They, they did it because Jordan felt like it. Wow. Yeah, there was no, there was no reason for them to be out there in that storm. Yeah. I just had to get there by tomorrow. We'll lose $20 million. We're going to Monaco! And they call over Captain Ted, who is Shea, how do you say his last name? Shea Wiggum, the great Shea Wiggum, yeah. So I want to let you know there, we might run into some chop. Chop? <laughs> we could fucking handle chop, right? I mean, it's a 170-foot yacht. No, no, no. We're not going anywhere unless he says it's safe, all right? It's safe. Don't worry about it's the safe. chop. You don't know shit about chop. One of the irritating... <laughs> it's funny how many negative things I'm going to say about rich people. Um, <laughs> one of the irritating things about people of privilege mm-hmm. is they think that one expertise in one area or just their general richness yeah, yeah. translates into expertise in all areas. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, in fact, know better than people who know what they're doing. <laughs> By the way, do you think Captain Ted seems like a good captain? No, Captain Ted seems like uh, I got to pay bills. I've got some divorces. I've got alimony. So I'm going to work for this nutball. Yeah. Um, and I'm not the most intelligent captain. And Shea Wiggum does, you know, Shea plays some smart characters, but when yeah. he plays characters of low intelligence or low status, he does such a believable job with it. And it doesn't feel like he's putting it on. And so it's such interesting small part that he's cast in this movie because, you know, he'd been working on a lot of things at this point. So just kind of surprising them seeing the small movie, but it's so essential for the scene that we're going to get to here with the yacht um, in the storm. And it's believable on so many levels because of what he does here uh, in this reaction to Jordan and Donnie, both going, uh, both trying to ignore the chop. You know, he, he walks the perfect tightrope. I mm-hmm. think between you can see that he knows that it's worse than what he's saying, yeah, yeah. but you can see him also, not being particularly strong about re- resisting Jordan and not being that great captain. I'm yeah. like, well, maybe we could, maybe we could make this work. And we go, let's go to Monaco. Let's fucking move. Cut to crazy storm. Yeah. And I couldn't, I hadn't read the book when I first saw the movie. There's no way that I could anticipate that this movie would end up in this place. Um, the storm is insane. And and of course, what is Jordan worried about as they're on the bridge, possibly going to die? His drugs. Get the loot. I can't go down there. It's funny. It's three feet of water down there. I will not die sober. Get those fucking loads. By the way, there's symbolism here, isn't there? Because everything's falling apart. And I think the rogue wave is essentially denim in the government. So this is kind of a, he's foreshadowing, um, Scorsese is about what's about to come for Jordan. And the fact that Jordan is just obsessed with the drugs shows you that he's focused on the immediate uh, pleasure without being aware of the long-term displeasure that he's about to walk into. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, I, I, the, the, I will not die sober. Yeah. It does have a, uh, I get it. I actually do get that one at a certain point. If you're sure you're going to die, it wouldn't be a very responsible choice. So Donnie goes down, gets the drugs. And then, you know, the helicopter goes off the top, which by the way, in the book, they actually had to cut the helicopter free. Right. Yes. And then we see the rescue helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're on an Italian Navy ship where we're dancing, where Naomi's dancing with the sailors and he, we're drinking some nice wine. And then we look up and see a plane explode. And he says, did you see that? That was the plane I sent to come get us. I shit you not. It exploded when a seagull flew into the engine. Three people killed. Now, is that true? 
Is that part of the? I the, can't remember. Okay, I was. I, I don't remember that from the book, but it might have been that I just tuned it out. I don't that's kind of crazy, man. Yeah. That's true. That's such a shame. Two people who die trying to save this rich asshole who got on a boat and pushed the limits of the boat. Um, well, and sadly, two people have to die because they have to go out and try to earn some money doing this. You know? Well, and I, I don't know how many crew members are on the hundred and seventy foot yacht. It's not mm. a small number. Mm. Like it, so, like, there are a lot of people that could have died. Good point, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Um, cut to Jordan doing an info commercial. Yeah, because he says he's kind of learned his lesson, and he essentially what you talk about hitting bottom. He essentially felt like he hit bottom on the yacht, and so now he's doing this program where he's going to help him. And I remember watching these infomercials. When oh I was yeah, older, man, and you you kind of can, especially when you're poor. And I grew up pretty poor, and so when you see these commercials, you're like maybe can i make it work but you know you never met anybody who actually made it work in those commercials for real in life so i mean i didn't end are, up doing it there are ways to make money sure you know like i had uh, a good friend's dad sold what is it amway products oh yeah amway jesus yeah and uh and you know you can if you can make money on these things yeah. but there are any get rich quick scheme is a scheme or a scam you know like yeah. not the people that, you're trying to convince people to buy these products from you. You're essentially selling. So yeah. Yeah, of course you're selling. Yeah, absolutely. And then what happens right in the middle of his commercial? Up come the FBI. Good to see you do- again, Jordan. You're under arrest. This was great. I thought this was such a genius thing by Scorsese because you're caught up in, oh well. So he has seen ro- the rock bottom. He's gonna, you know, make a change. He's now doing this to help people. And then Denim shows up and arrests him, and you realize, yeah, it's just another scam, this sack of shit. He didn't learn anything. Um, and everybody gets arrested. Now. And to do it in the four by three, yeah, uh, uh, keep the shot in the four by three, I thought was really smart as well. And A, he totally resists arrest, mm-hmm. you know, which again, rich people get away with, other people do not. Yeah. Um, and 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 also to be clear, he was not actually arrested on a movie shoot. That is invented for the movie. It's fantastic. I love it. I clean up my act. I did rehab. I'm a TV personality. I'm sober for two years, and this happens. He he doesn't get actually go into rehab until after the thing with the kid and the car. Mm. That actually happens later. And then the Swiss banker gets arrested in Miami. Yeah. I mean, what are the fucking odds? There had to be 10,000 Swiss bankers in Geneva, and Rugrat gets the one dumb enough to get himself arrested on U.S. soil. Um, I can't believe that the, 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 the crime had something to do with the founder of Benihana. <laughs> <laughs> That's madness. Yeah. So crazy. I like Benihana. Benihana's fun. I do, too. And people like Steve Madden shoes, but apparently they all came to be in some really nefarious ways. Yeah. And we get in front of the judge, played by well-known New York personality and humorous Fran Lebowitz. Yeah, she's played a judge on Law & Order as well, multiple times. Oh. I always love seeing her pop up. I love how stunned DiCaprio looks. <laughs> like, just the sort of like, I, this can't be happening, right? I can't really be going to jail. Like, that's not possible. The 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 exchange, the nonverbal exchange between him and Fran here is great. Because he looks at his lawyer. By the way, also that great, that great character actor plays his lawyer. Uh, he's been on Oz and a number of other shows, but like he's just staring at her, going, "Wait, where's the, how? Wait, aren't you supposed to tell me how I get out of this? Like, what's the? It's so hilarious and show, speaks to his privilege. You know how deep in his privilege he was. <laughs> I love that Donnie says, I'll "Tell you one thing, I'm never eating a Benihana again. I don't care whose birthday it is." And he starts talking about 
financial problems. Yeah. Jordan, I got you. What do you got me? The house, money, don't worry about it, I got you. You know I'd do it for you, right? Would Jordan do that for him? No. No. And he's not going to. He's going to fuck over everybody. Now the feds are going to offer him a deal, which is, and and I love the way they they start off. There's a term, and we don't like to use it unless circumstances dictate, and I think they do dictate in this case, and the term is Grenada. Have you ever heard of Grenada? And he tells the story of the U.S. invasion of Grenada and how our giant army went in invaded this tiny little island. And essentially it means is this case is unlosable, okay? So, you know, we can come in, we can have our dick hanging out of our pants. Nobody gives a fuck. I'm gonna win. You, sir, are what's known as a Grenada. And they offer him a deal, which is to wear a wire. This is great uh, juxtaposition, right? You've got the one moment here where Donnie's coming in and Donnie's like, I spoke to the partners, we'll take care of you, you're gonna be fine, we'll cover all this kind of stuff. And of course, it shows the beginning of the dissolution of the marriage between him and Naomi, her reaction to Donnie and all of that. But it seems like such a sweet scene. Here he goes, getting bailed out yet again. And then the next scene is them telling him, you got, and Denim really laying it on the on the table, like, you got to do all these things if you want to get the fuck out of here. And his lawyer can't even like try to protest this. And so right after he is so happy that Donnie's going to save him, the next thing is him being open to screwing over Donnie and everybody else. What, what, what does that mean? You want, you want me to rat? Is that it? No, I want you to cooperate. No, you want me to rat. Right? Yes, that- we want you to rat. That's fucking exactly what we want you to do, to rat. Yeah, the straightforward. It reminds me, have you ever seen Quiz Show, the Ray Fiennes one? Oh, sure. Rob Morrow is kind of like mm. the Kyle Chandler of that, where he's kind of straight up having to tell uh what is involved here to make it clear to Ray Fiennes' character, yes, there is no privileged way out of this. You need to accept your responsibility here. I love that. I haven't seen that in a long time. Does it hold up? Uh yeah. I saw it last year again, just randomly. And yeah, he's great in it. But Torturo is the reason. Torturo is amazing. Yeah. He's so good in that film. Um and now he's trying to lay it out for Naomi, mm-hmm. why this is a good deal, and the the levels of rationalization he's going through, and the way he's framing him, you know, ratting out, uh, you know, his partners, is beautifully written and beautifully acted. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that, of course, bummed me out a little bit is this whole idea of having to give information about my friends. Well, like you said, there's no friends on Wall Street, right? Right. Right, exactly. There's a silver lining to that too, honey, because they said eventually, eventually everyone's going to have to give information on this case. So at the end of the day, it might not even be a factor. That's an amazing rationalization. Yes. Yes. Um, Which is what he's done his whole life, rationalize all the negative behaviors of his life. You know, It's funny, in the um, one of the behind the scenes things, Scorsese talks about loyalty and the betrayal of trust Mm. and that so many of his movies that this is a theme that's gone through so many of his movies ideas of loyalty you know obviously goodfellas the departed like a lot of films even mean streets has that yeah oh absolutely yeah this whole last crazy sequence they say they kind of made up the night before the shoot now a lot of it's in the book so i'm not quite sure what they say they made up i'm really happy for you what do you mean happy for me 
should be happy for the both of us. Right? Yeah, right. Already we know there's a problem. You know? Yeah. Just her entire demeanor in the yep. scene from the beginning, there's an issue. But I do think it's kind of a little ridiculous that she is sanctimonious about this whole situation. I don't mean about the sex and all of it. So she'd write, obviously, to not have sex with them, but like this idea that, of course, I, you know, of course, I'm not going to be in trouble. I did nothing wrong. Bullshit. Like, I, I'm always fascinated by this idea that the husbands or the wives of people who are criminals uh, for a very long time, fleecing people, get to get away with playing stupid about it. I also, as, as, as bad as the criminals are, the people who ignore the shit they're doing because they're married to them, I think is ridiculous. And that shit should be uh, destroyed, uh, honestly, because there's no way she didn't know all the shit he was doing. There's no fucking way. You know, I mean, she's been around all the drugs, so yeah. she knows all of that. Johnny's she literally had- on the phone in the Quaalude scene revealing everything, you know? I mean, he, of course she, I mean, she, she, they were rolling on the on the bed covered in money that he, she knows that he's shipping the money to Switzerland. And like, of course she knows. Um, yeah. And she is of course has benefited from all of this stuff. Um, so he starts to kiss her and wants to have sex. And she says no multiple times. And then he is having sex with her. Yeah. I fucking hate you, Jordan. Get off me. baby. I mean, this is all horrible. The turn that it takes of her going, you want to fuck me, Jordan? And basically encouraging it, yeah, I think is a brilliant piece of filmmaking. That was the last time. What do you mean, baby? I mean, that was the last time we ever have sex. I'd... What are you talking about? I want a divorce. That's what's known as a pity fuck, ladies and gentlemen. And that does happen in relationships. And it's the most <laughs> horrific thing. And th- they're both amazing in this sequence. Yeah, 100%. It goes fully crazy. He's, they're screaming at each other. She says she's going to take custody of the kids, which, by the way, in the book, when she leaves him, she's going to leave the kids with him. Yeah. Which is fucked up. You know, like right. the, 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 it, this kind of this thing happens where he does grab the kid and goes to the garage and crashes right. the car. All that stuff did happen. Yeah. But it was her saying, but it was to stop her from leaving. She was going to leave the kids with him, which is yeah. just crazy to me. And she slaps him, and then he hits her, yeah. pushes her down the stairs. I mean, it's just all awful. Yeah. He gets he gets a knife out, and starts cutting open the the cushions, looking for drugs. Finds a giant bag of coke. It basically just you know <laughs> face plants into it. Yeah, and he grabs his kid, and he goes to the garage, goes to the car, locks her out. She's screaming, trying to get in, and the the terror of her not being able to get into the car. Mm. It's just crazy. Then she grabs something and shatters the, the window, the driver's side window, as Jordan slams the car into reverse, crashes through the garage door, and crashes into a stone pillar yeah. with his kid not seat belted in the front seat. This is the Karen, this is the Karen moment from Goodfellas. This is mm. the Karen moment. This just this, you know, like you flush the drugs down the door. Oh my, why'd you do this? All we have is the final destruction. Right. And then in, in that movie, they stayed together until, of course, divorcing years later. But in this movie, it's clear that this is over. And a little thing, and I don't know if this was direction. I don't know if this was Margot Robbie's idea. Her panties are still rolled down her legs. Oh, I didn't notice so that. I noticed that this watching it this time around with her coming to the car after he's crashed the car, you can see them still like down on her thigh. 
And I was like, wow, that's actually a great attention to detail because they were just having sex and got into the fight right immediately afterwards and back and forth. And he punched her and she slapped him and all this. And so it's like, she doesn't have the moment to just like take these things off. She's so caught up in everything and the madness and the insanity of the sequence of events that why would she? So it's just a great little moment here. And I do think in reality that she got away with it because she didn't serve one day in jail. She claimed domestic violence, obviously, which we see here. She claimed domestic violence and all this stuff. And as soon as he got arrested, she started the process of divorcing him. And so, and she's remade herself now, by the way. She's a psychiatrist Hmm. online talking about helping people getting out of trauma relationships. She's on TikTok. She's got a very healthy TikTok following. She married a businessman within a year or two after the end of the relationship. So she got away with all this stuff. And so, like I said, I think the partner's should face charges as much as the people committing the crimes because they stay silent. But maybe, as you said with Scorsese, this idea of loyalty, maybe paints her in a better light in the movie because she did end up staying loyal to him in terms of not, you know, turning anything over, just divorcing him and getting out of that situation. I don't know. I don't know. For me, like, I always think multiple things can be true at the same time. One is she can be, she she is the victim of domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. She is, that's all true. She might really care about those issues and she might even be good at those issues. And I'm with you, like, she is not innocent in all. Oh, she was nicknamed the Duchess of Bay Bay Ridge by the press and she loved the nickname because she got to live the rich life. Yeah. Yeah. But by the way, the moment of Jordan realizing that he put his kid in danger yeah. and taking the kid out of the car and then the blood that starts dripping down on his face yeah. is a beautifully made moment. And DiCaprio plays it great, as always. And now he's getting a wire. And we cut to everyone at the office cheering for him, not realizing he's about to betray them all. And then they're sitting down to eat some fancy sushi and... They start talking and he starts to steer the conversation towards uh, Steve Madden. And then he he pulls slides a napkin kind of across the, the table and we lift it up and it reads, don't incriminate yourself. I'm wearing a wire. A, I believe this did happen, but not with Danny. But he did definitely do this. Not with Donnie. Not with Don. Well, not with Danny is the real person's name. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So did, um, in reality, this did not happen with Danny, but in the movie, it does with Donnie. Got right. It. And you could hear that he's saying exactly the kind of thing he would say mm-hmm. for The Wire. Jonah Hill's reaction to this is great. And I would like to know what you think he's feeling. Is he Because fe- he could be feeling relieved and man- uh, Jordan's looking out for me by showing me that note and protecting mm-hmm. me, or he could be feeling totally betrayed and angry because Jordan's wearing a wire. I think he feels 100% at the, at the foundational feeling is hurt. Mm. Hurt because this is his best friend in essence in life. This is the man who took him out of whatever job, he, dead end job he's working on and showed him the world and had him make all this money and you know indulge in all these things of himself. And the fact that he would even wear a wire, there was a destruction of his idol. Because he idolizes Jordan. So the fact that Jordan would wear a wire to possibly incriminate Donnie, even though he does slide the message across, there is such a... Um, it's like uh, Gibson when he pulls the helmet off Robert the Bruce. There is that sense of, like, mm. oh my God. You would actually do this, even though you didn't kill me and you didn't follow through with what the British wanted you to do. The fact that you even participated up to this moment is a betrayal. 
Yeah. And so for, I think what's going on for Donnie is he, the fact that you would even wear the wire Jordan is already a betrayal, even though you're trying to save me. And I think it's also a realization. And then when you go from that moment of that feeling, it is anger. It is fear because if they can get to Jordan, they can get to Donnie. And so there's all of that mixing through, but I think most of all, it's the betrayal of a friend, the, yeah. the betrayal of friendship, uh, which you can see, as you said, Jonah plays it so well. It's not overt. You can just, you almost feel sad for him and pity for him because I do face is almost like a child and his older brother is, has screwed him over in some really profound way. You know? I do feel sad for him yeah. and I hate Donnie. Yeah, I know you do. You I, know, but, but that's the thing. This is again, and this is Scorsese and this is the thing about really good movies is they can make you feel things you don't really want to feel, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like pity for a guy who's a scumbag, Yeah, you know, cut to Jordan in bed and the FBI is there. And we look down and see Agent Denim holding up uh, that note in a little uh, Ziploc bag. I need you to get dressed. What the fuck's going on? You're going to jail. We hear a door slam and the FBI comes into the office in force. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they arrest um, what's his name? Pig Snow, Pig Vomit, whatever his damn name is, and then they and they arrest Kimmy. We see Kimmy getting arrested in the background yep. there, which I think is hilarious. And Donnie is absolutely uh, just scared out of his mind. And then we go to this weird sequence, right, Steve? Where he, uh, so, uh, the camera's walking through all these people with a light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. Like it's so interesting. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like a almost like a coda because all the faces are mm. are smiling yeah. and it's sort of like Jordan's image, his imagination of the good moments of walking through the offices when things were good. That's my feeling about it. I gave up everyone, and in return, I got three years in some hellhole in Nevada I'd never even heard of. Like my pops, Mad Max, had said chickens had come home to roost uh it, it's a really interesting moment we're in court and he gets handcuffed and i love the look from agent denim as he's as they're taking him away and then we cut to kyle chandler on the subway which is what jordan talked about mm-hmm. earlier in the film and he's just looking around at this at the ordinary people of the subway he looks at this older couple and he just has this moment of thinking. What do you think this moment is about? I am so uh, confused by this moment. I Because it can go in a million different directions. Because he does look at the couple and then looks down at the ground for a long time before the scene cuts. And so is he thinking that Jordan was right? Is he? It, it, it's not any kind of self-satisfied. Like he isn't looking at people and they're nodding and smiling at him. It is this sense of like, well, did I really do anything? Did I really do any good by getting this guy off the street? Because look, people are just living their lives and it's no much, it's no better than it was before. So yeah, it's a bit confusing because then we just go to Jordan playing fucking tennis and in a fucking country club uh, prison because he's rich. So it's, um, it's a weird message. This, these two scenes back to back. I, yeah, I think, I, I think it's meant to be that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think they did a really ambiguous scene with him where you can kind of put your own thing on it. My my yeah. thing is more that he's thinking, these are the people I'm protecting. These are my people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like, but, 
but the fact that you know Jordan is scared briefly going into prison and then immediately realizes that he's rich yeah. and that it's not going to be a problem and he's as you said playing tennis mm-hmm. it just it makes me fucking furious you know like it really does because the level of these this guy's crimes are so high yeah and the level of his punishment is so low and then we begin to hear a speech uh, which is someone introducing Jordan Belfort in Auckland, New Zealand. And the person who is introducing Jordan Belfort in Auckland, New Zealand is the real Jordan Belfort. <laughs> My good friend, Mr. Jordan Belfort, is the single baddest motherfucker I have ever met. I hate that Scorsese put him in the movie. <laughs> I hate it. Because all these questions, these things we've been talking about, yeah. about whether or not the consequences are there and how we're supposed to feel about the guy, the guy, in my opinion, is a scumbag. And rewarding a scumbag by putting him in the movie, it makes it, 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 it I, I really dislike this choice. What about Scorsese makes you think he's this moral person who does? Like, I mean, all these films are about very flawed individuals. So I feel That's like true. I feel like he has this, he's not. You know, he's, uh, and I take your point, obviously, Steve. I think you're correct. I would have never put Jordan in the movie, but like, but Scorsese has a. All of his films are about humanizing these criminals, humanizing these people who do the most terrible things. You know, because even at the end of Goodfellas, look, that motherfucker guy was in the mafia. A lot of people die by this dude's hands in brutal ways. Yeah, and here he gets to get away with, uh, you know, turning states and live in a nice, comfortable house, and I'm supposed to feel sympathy because he's eating noodles and ketchup? Fuck off. And so in this moment, the same thing, like, this is what Jordan is now reduced to, is doing these seminars or whatever, but he got he got out after three years or probably less for good behavior. So it's, it's um, I don't know if the feeling at the end is that, fuck, man, people get away with this shit. Like, what, do something about it. Or if it's just like, yeah, this is life. You know, this is the unfortunate truth of the world, you know? To me, there is a difference between saying an ambiguous story about mm-hmm. a, about a difficult person and and allowing the audience to feel sympathy for that person, yeah. and giving a paycheck to the actual bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, right. <laughs> like that's who's promo- who is a motivational speaker, and the, and this this movie already made his life better, you know what I mean, right, right, and like I just wouldn't contribute to him. Yeah, that's fair. You're a different kind of filmmaker than, say, Scorsese. That, that, yeah, and, and not nearly the filmmaker that Scorsese is. To be real clear, not not in. It's not even to say that I'm not in the guy's league. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even in the same sport. You know, like, but, I mean, so and then we have you know our Jordan Belfort, Leonardo DiCaprio, come out, and his speech starts with, "Sell me this pen." Which, by the way, is a thing that Jordan Belfort says that he never did. This is not a dream. <laughs> and the camera moves through the crowd of expectant faces all hanging on his every word. But this is not that crowd that used to hang on his every word in three-piece suits and Armani, no. Armani business suits. This is people who are barely making it by or who are taking a chance because they want to be successful. They want to make money by coming to a seminar like this. And how many of them are really going to take any of the lessons and apply them to their lives? No, the person who's going to profit off this is Jordan Belfort. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And that is the end of The Wolf of Wall Street. It was released on Christmas Day, 2013. 
Merry Christmas. Uh, it was Paramount's first movie that was exclusively displayed digitally, which oh, I thought wow. was interesting. Okay. Uh, it's Scorsese's most successful film ever. It made $406 million. A three-hour film. You know, people complain about the length of movies, but when you have the right filmmaker, it doesn't matter, you know? Um, it also has a Guinness record for having the most swearing ever in a film. Wow, more than Scarface. Interesting. Yeah, there are 506 fucks, an average of a swear every 2.8 seconds. Both verbally and physically. <laughs> true, true. I mean, my favorite one being uh, Kyle Chandler saying, I mean, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the v- version uh, displayed in the United Arab Emirates cut 45 minutes of drugs and swearing and nudity out of the movie. I, d- I don't know how you clean up this film. I mean, yeah. it's just everywhere. There was a great sketch that In Living Color did with the Sopranos being on PAX, which is the Christian uh, network. Mm. And every episode is 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the opening <laughs> and then credits. <laughs> There's like all these scenes where it's like, fuck, <laughs> it's genius just genius and i imagine that's what that was like watching wolf of wall street there and then the other bit of craziness is that you know we mentioned that this was financed independently by a company named uh yeah. red granite and reza aziz the head of it uh was arrested for corruption in 2019 because he basically stole millions of dollars of government money to make this movie as well as dumb and dumber Two and Daddy's Home, uh, and all of which made with money that he stole from the Indonesian government. Yeah, That's, which is just crazy. Um, so oh, and and he was eventually forgiven for his crime. Oh, was he? So he never served a day in jail for these crimes. Gee, sounds like something we've been talking about throughout this film. Yeah. Uh, here are some of its nominations. It was nominated for picture, director, adapted screenplay, actor, supporting actor. So for picture, these are the nominations. American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, and the Oscar was won by 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. That's a that's a year of good films. That's a uh, fantastic year yeah. of films, yeah. Director went to Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, adapted screenplay went to 12 Years a Slave. Uh, actor was won by Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Uh, which I've never seen, actually. Oh. But I hear that he's great. Um, supporting actor went to uh, Jared Leto from Dallas Buyers Club. Mm. It was not nominated for editing, which I find shocking because this yeah. is an amazingly edited film. Yeah, I would like to talk briefly about Mr. Jordan Belfort and what happened to him. Okay. So he defrauded at least $200 million from investors. Again, I go to the guy who robs a liquor store and gets 150 bucks and yeah. goes to jail because he used a gun and he goes to jail for 20 years. Yeah. And this guy got, you know, less than two years with good behavior. Yep. He was ordered to pay 50% of all his income towards the $110 million he's, he owned to his victims. He got a half a million dollar advance for the book. The prosecutor talked about the book and said the real Belford story includes thousands of victims who lost hundreds of millions of dollars and they never will be repaired. So of the $110 million of which he was supposed to pay out of 50% of all of his earnings for life, he is uh, paid $10 million. Wow. The U S filed a complaint against him, then dropped it. Jordan agreed to pay $10,000 a month for life and then didn't. 
he claimed that 100% of his earnings from the book and movie go to victims, but that was bullshit. No movie money ever went to any of his victims. Uh, Business Week reports that he only paid $21,000 of obligations out of $1.3 million uh, more recently. He Speaking fee is between thirty dollars and $75,000 a pop. Wow. His training program has been called a scam. His current net worth is $134 million. Wow. He, he told 60 Minutes his greatest regret is losing people's money. Right, because he thinks that, that he, well, he claims that he did legitimate investing and it just kind of went wrong. Yep. Uh, by the way, uh, Danny's, uh, Danny Porsche, which is who Donnie's based on, his wife sued him for child support, which he has not paid, and he claims he has no assets, despite the fact that he's worth over $10 million. Yeah, and he started new businesses in Florida, and both of them were investigated for being scams for medical supplies and medical equipment. So, right. yeah. And, and, and one more thing, and, and this bugs me, and I, I love Leonardo DiCaprio, but Leo did a, a promotional video for Jordan Belfort's, uh, you know, speaking. Yeah. And this is where, and th- again, this is where I, I you know, the, the question that we started was Brennan's question about, does this aggrandize, you know, does this make this more attractive? And we've kind of been coming back to it. And it's like, when Leonardo DiCaprio is doing a commercial for the guy, it's kind of like it blurs that line for me in a, in a way of like, well, maybe you were fucking celebrating him. I don't know. But I'm not celebrating. No, and I think if you're not inclined to celebrate him, you can find plenty in the movie to not celebrate him. Because I still think what I said at the beginning is that yeah. if you are if you have a secret desire to be like Jordan Belfort, then you can say that this movie um, elevates him. But there are plenty of examples throughout the movie of the terrible things that he's doing and the reactions that people have to these terrible things and that he knows he's breaking the law and violating the law and flouting his, his or flouting his, or what are you, thumbing his nose at the law. And so you see these things that are the repercussions of his actions that I don't think aggrandize him. But what you said about DiCaprio, I did not know that. And that's a shame because that guy talks about a lot of causes. And so it seems a bit incongruent to be okay with yeah. somebody fleecing hardworking people out of their money, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like if he had, you know, he does this apology at the beginning of the book. Mm. If he had actively tried to pay off the debts, right. then, then I would go, oh, maybe that apology is real. But it's right. it's not because you're not. No. You know, and and yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, I believe in, I, I do believe in capitalism and I do believe that someone who does great things sh- should make a lot of money. I'm yeah. cool with that. I don't think that applies to Jordan Belfort. Yeah. Um, so what are your final thoughts on the Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> uh, I think this is a, a, one of the greatest films ever made. Absolutely. I think this is one of the crowning achievements of Scorsese as a director it's a film that grow that grows in your estimation the more you watch it, at least for me. Um, and I love that about Scorsese's movies. Like I've come around a little bit more on Goodfellas as I've gotten older. Casino is certainly one that I've revisited and watched many times and enjoyed. And I'll tell you this: this film has an electricity to it that a lot of his yeah. other films don't. And it's a different kind of electricity, but it's an electricity that is just brought on by DiCaprio because he catches DiCaprio at the beginning of DiCaprio's prime as well. As an actor, of course, he was an aviator. These other things with Scorsese, uh, but this is the movie that I think you see the greatest of DiCaprio in Scorsese's hands. I'm not a Shutter Island guy. There's other movies that he just. This is the movie that you see a master filmmaker with an actor embracing his prime 
and the electricity of that relationship coming through throughout the movie. There are incredible scenes here that are stay with you forever, funny moments. And of course, you throw in Jonah Hill's performance, which is so essential to putting this film in another category in Scorsese's uh, resume. And so for me overall, this one still works, still applies, and sadly still has the overarching message of how rich people get away with all kinds of things in our society doesn't make them pay for it overall, doesn't really punish them in the ways that they should. I'm reminded of Eddie Izzard's bit about Hitler versus Stalin, where Hitler was certainly vilified, but Stalin killed way more people and because it was his people and because it was exorbitant amount of numbers, we almost kind of in a fucked up way respect that more than what Hitler did. And yet it's madness how the mind works when it looks at when you look at these kinds of things or Idi Amin, how many people that Idi Amin killed and he's not synonymous with evil the way that Hitler is. And so it's just an interesting situation in how we view how rich people get away with things at such a high level versus, as Steve mentioned, someone who robs just to be able to eat or just, you know, to uh, get some money in their pockets, uh, get way worse punishments. Yeah. Um, I think electricity is a great word for mm. the feeling of this movie. I also think, by the way, Martin Scorsese is not known for the funniest of films. No, no, you're right. Yeah. And this movie is genuinely funny if you have a particular kind of sense of humor. And the movie I'm going to make, I'm not compares, comparing these in terms of cinema, mm. but the, the movie that just occurred to me that's similar in a, is in a weird way is RoboCop. <laughs> RoboCop is really funny yeah. and really violent and gross. And if you can, if you think that's funny, it's a really funny movie. If right. you don't find that kind of thing funny, that movie is not for you. And I would say the same thing about Wolf of Wall Street is like, it takes you into some really morally questionable grounds and it, it's thrilling the way Scorsese does it. And DiCaprio and Jonah Hill's performance and Margot Robbie's are all so great mm -hmm. that you're carried along. I mean, that three hours, I think, goes fast. Yeah, I agree. Because you know? yeah, the yeah. pace of the movie is so fast and it's so damn funny. Mm -hmm. And it takes you to some morally questionable places. And it's an interesting experience when you're laughing at slash with these people that you really, really shouldn't like. Yeah. You know, and I don't like them, but I enjoy them on some levels while at the same time being disgusted with myself for enjoying what I'm enjoying. I mean, that's a really interesting movie. Is it yeah. one having now really broken it down and read Jordan Belford's book that I want to go back to anytime soon? No, I'm done. I'm done with that fucking guy for a while. But that doesn't mean the movie is not really, really well made. And if you're a cinephile, then this is watching a master filmmaker at work. I 100 percent agree. So that's what we think of The Wolf of Wall Street. We would love your thoughts because we certainly went into some interesting areas in our conversation. You can follow us on Facebook by searching for The Cinephiles. It's Cine underscore files on Twitter. The Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already on Spotify or Apple, Apple Podcasts or YouTube on Apple Podcasts. We still need those reviews. Yeah. And once again, if you write a hilarious review, that gives us five stars. Maybe we'll read it on our next episode of The Cinephiles. If you want to leave your comments on YouTube, we love responding to you there. If you want to buy or stream The Wolf of Wall Street along with every other film we've ever done, you can do it on cinephiles.net. And of course, 
Shout out to all of our supporters on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You heard some of their names from questions that they asked in this episode, and we would love your support there where you can get ad-free versions of the show, combined episodes of multi-parters like The Wolf of Wall Street, our watch-alongs, our cinephile shorts, and even participate in the Cinephiles Advisory Board, which is a huge part of helping us guide the show into the future. Yeah. So, And if you want to reach me, it's SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. John, how about you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch. Hey guys, hundreds of thousands of you listen to our uh, podcasts. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to us on social media, follow us on social media, and especially our Cinephiles Twitter account as well. Follow it, get us into some big numbers because those numbers are what uh, translate to ad advertisers and to people who want to sponsor the show when they see us have a strong social media following and a strong YouTube. A subscription and a strong podcast following it makes us more attractive as a podcast to these advertisers to put their uh, ads here on our show and that allows us to continue doing the show for years and years uh, to come with all these wonderful great movies that we're going to break down like we did with the wolf of wall street over these last three parts and a big shout out also to all of our people who voted to make this movie our first film of 2013 that we tackled and i think and i hope that you all think we did a great job with it. Uh, that was great. And I'm really glad you brought up the thing about social media. And it makes me wonder, I wonder what our cinephiles will pick as the first movie we do from 2014. Yeah, we're getting close to that time. We're yeah. getting close to that time. So I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles for another great film. <laughs>